my focus at this point is helping people with resiliency. So people at large, not just doctors, but just the whole world. Like how can I help humans be more resilient? Because that's the name of the game. That's what we need to do if we want to survive this or any future pandemic, because more is coming. You know, like we need to be, this has shown us we need to be a more resilient society and we need to be better citizens and help each other. Your health, my health, impacts everyone else's health. And so it's super, I really do believe at this point that obesity is the driver of the pandemic in this country. And we need to help each other in whatever ways we can to get over that hump because that's not going away anytime soon. And this is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two, one. Hey friends, Maestro here, and welcome back to another episode of my favorite podcast, Maestro on the Mic. Today I have with me a guest that's been on before, and quite frankly, she's been training her whole life and preparing for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so she's number two, if you will, in this like little uh, State of the Union series, and I thought it was just so appropriate to have her, have her back on, just because all the things that she's been doing, all the things that she knows, her background. So without further ado... Welcome back to the show, my good friend, Dr. Tina Moore. Hey. Welcome, homie. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you again. Thank you for making the time. Every time we chat, it's so good. So I've been looking forward to this one, and uh, I'm stoked to put it out for the people. For sure. Just so you guys, you folks know, uh, I brought Tina on before, so if you want to hear all of her background story, you can go look into listen to that episode. I will have us link that in the show notes. So what I want to do today is is hop right on in, and Tina, I'm going to give you a, a choice here. Would you like to start off with the virus, your social media explosion, <laughs> or what you're seeing in the naturopathic world? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, let's talk about the virus, and that will let's lead into my it. explosion on Instagram. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So let me let me just set the stage here, folks. I, before Tina hopped on, I promised her that none of you would come after her because, and Tina's probably going to talk about that with getting to the social media side of things. But I get it. People are scared, and oftentimes, as, as animals, when you're scared, you may lash out, depending on your, you know, your your threat response. But you may lash out. So we get it that things can be scary, things are uncertain. But let's be critically thinking adults with all of this. So with that little intro, Tina, I will pass the mic over to you. Awesome. Okay, so I'll start with uh, my story, and that will probably explain things a little bit better. When I was Mm -hmm. 19, I got hit with cytomegalovirus really hard and to the point where it almost killed me, and they didn't know what was going on with me. And I went to the student health center at the university I was attending, and a very kind female physician decided to look deeper and ran a panel of tests. And she was looking for mono, the Epstein-Barr virus, Mm -hmm. and she found Mm -hmm. cytomegalovirus there wasn't a lot known at that time. This was like 1993. So we weren't, you know, I didn't know anything about naturopathic medicine. I didn't know that there were any other ways to go, except when you went to the conventional doctor, if you had a virus, they gave you some vitamins, some crummy, you know, uh, quality vitamins and said, go home and rest. So she said, your cytomegalovirus titers are through the roof. And I was like, well, what the heck does that mean? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, we only really see this get bad in people with HIV. And Mm -hmm. mind you, this is the early 90s. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty good kid. I mean, I was sexually active, but I was a good, you know, good girl. I was safe. I used condoms. I did all the things. Like I actually had a whole condom drive at my high school. Like I was, I was actually, I had started up an HIV awareness group in high school. So like I was, you know, I was like, what? And she said, yeah, "Yeah, it normally doesn't get this out of control unless you're severely immunocompromised. And, uh, back then HIV tests took a while. They weren't just like rapid 
tests, you know, yeah. you had to wait in, in fear. You sat at home waiting in fear. So ran a full HIV panel on me. Um, fortunately, after we, you know weeks of waiting, that came back negative. And I was so bad that I um, started having pretty severe mental, emotional symptoms. Turns out cytomegalovirus attacks the brain. And no one told me that they just told me I was losing my shit and sent me home and I had to withdraw mm-hmm. from school and I had to stay Damn. at my parents' house for weeks, months, actually a whole quarter. And it was, I wasted away to nothing. And it was a really horrible time. Years later, uh, I graduated from school with a bachelor in science and I met my mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli, who was a naturopathic physician. I'd never heard of a naturopathic physician, but I went to work for him as a, as his receptionist. And he told me that cytomegalovirus attacks the brain. And the reason that I lost my bonkers was because of the virus. It wasn't because I was crazy. Um, We now know that to be true. And we now know that in fact, people with chronic cytomegalovirus go on to often have microglial cell blastomas, uh, a type of pretty severe brain cancer. So that was like my big aha. And then years passed, my health did not improve greatly. Uh, that really set me up for a lot of autoimmune issues. And it really set the stage for probably the next decade plus of my life where I was sickly. I wasn't eating well. I was underweight. Mind you, going into that 19 years old, I had been living off of Snapple, Sun Chips, and cigarettes. <laughs> So I mean, literally <laughs> the trifecta, yeah. <laughs> no protein, no animal protein. You know, I was a mac and cheese vegetarian. I was chain smoking. I was drinking heavily. I was staying up all night. I had zero respect for my body, and in fact, I didn't care if I died or lived. So I was, I really put myself in a pickle. Anyway, um, flash forward to medical school. I'm in the chiropractic and naturopathic program concurrently. I end up with a really severe case of the flu that. It turned into meningitis and again, almost killed me. And it messed me up for a long time. Like there was a good, in both cases, uh, both times messed me up for a long time. And we're hearing about this, like, oh, the long haulers with the coronavirus. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty common for most viruses. If they hit you hard, you get mm-hmm. the quaile that can last for, mm-hmm. for years, for life, for some, you know, yeah. um, it's called chronic. It's like people with yeah. chronic Epstein-Barr, right? So that's it. So, you know, there's neurologic manifestations, there's cardiovascular manifestations. I mean, I was having all kinds of symptoms. So I got super obsessed with viruses after that flu bout and I had, you know, half of my medical education under my belt. So I knew enough to really dive in. So I dove into the 1918 flu. I became obsessed with Ebola. I became obsessed with these viruses and I've been obsessed every time they've come through our communities. And so this one, I'm just honestly, truly shocked at how this is being handled and managed and talked about and the education around it, because we know that coronaviruses, this family of viruses has been around for millennia. There's four that regularly circulate through the population. They cause the common cold. If there was a vaccine readily manufacturable, uh, we would have had it by now because Mm -hmm. people don't like to get hit with the common cold. And Mm -hmm we know how this virus works. So yeah, this one's novel, quote unquote novel, but it's still in the same family. It's like, it's like us discovering a new species of dog and acting like it's a lion. It's a freaking dog. We know how dogs act. Right. So this has been really, I just kept thinking, you know, this will, this will pan out. Like people will wake up, they'll realize the, the, you know, the mainstream media will start talking about common sense. And I've never in my life since, you know, February or March, I've never in my life thought I would have to defend basic sciences to the extent that I'm doing so. And then weirdly, I just knew something was coming. I, you know, we're old enough. I don't know how old you are, but I'm 40, almost 47. And I watched the entire human population become obese in my lifetime. And I knew something had to give. We've we've become such a sedentary, um, punting responsibility society that, you know, a pill for every ill, go to the doctor, they'll do things to me. It's like in your profession, you know, there's PTs who just ultrasound and rub some Mm -hmm. icy hot on. And then there's PTs who rehab you with strength and conditioning. So we've become such a passive care model of, of human beings. And I just figured something had to give. And I told my mom in detail when I was 19, when that cytomegalovirus hit me, I told her in detail how this was going to go down. And shockingly, I have been fairly correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so when this hit us, I I knew that we were in trouble in North America because immediately I could see that it was binding to ACE2 receptors. And those receptors are upregulated as a protective mechanism in inflamed tissues. And we are one big 
backcountry mm-hmm. of inflamed people. And I do not mm-hmm. say that disrespectfully. We really are in a pickle. And if your audience is a sus- subscriber to the hypothesis of health at every size, I want them to research adipokines and learn on a biochemical level what adipocytes and adipokines do. Because in most cases, fat cells are inflamed cells. And inflamed adipose cells wreak all kinds of havoc on the body. And that is specifically the perfect host for this virus. Um, And also tends to lead to type 2 diabetes, which is 100% a lifestyle disease and reversible through lifestyle and strength training and diet, nutrition, and et cetera. And I've been kind of on the front rows of this because I did Mm -hmm. a video early on kind of explaining what I thought was going to happen, just basically saying what I just said. It went viral had a huge influx of followers on Instagram and oh my gosh, the next few months was spent. I mean, I felt like every morning I woke up, I had to put on my shield and my sword and my yeah. suit of armor just to come in and look at my DMS because people are losing their shit. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So you seeing that response when people are scared and just attacking you, the messenger. Yeah. Like you're the virus. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I've gotten so much hate around even mentioning the word obesity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gotten, I've been, you know, my credentials have been questioned multiple times, just on and on. And I'm like, you guys, this is basic sciences. I've spent my entire life in basic sciences. Long before I went to medical school, I was interested in basic sciences, zoology, animal behaviorism, viruses, cull herds. That's what viruses do. They take out the mm-hmm. sickly and the elderly. That's it. Viruses don't want to kill their host. They actually need exactly. us to repli- replicate and move, that, right? That part there. <laughs> that part right there. I think, I don't know, I think many of us and listening to this, you have, have some sort of movement background, most of us have some sort of like, quote unquote, health education background. And if any of you took any kind of immunology or anything like that, we learn this. Like that it just makes common sense. Like it makes basic sense. Like it doesn't want to kill you because then it has nowhere to go. Right. It can't be living. Like, does it make sense? Like, let's find a host that's actually going to be able to allow us to, to thrive in this <coughs> terrible for us symbiotic relationship. Yes. I, I love that you put out there about adipocytes and adipokines. Like, one of the things that I, you know, that it's so interesting, all, all of the, everything happening at once and social justice movements and things like that. This is another situation, a scenario of both and. I think that I see people coming at you and being like, Tina thinks fat people are the problem and they're like, and she doesn't understand that like obesity is multifactorial. That's exactly what Tina's saying is that it is. And it's also contributing to this, to perpetuation of this, of this virus. Right. So it's not a, it's not an either or situation where Tina's just like, fat people are bad. The end. No. She's saying, here's the science on this. And I understand that many of the things at play that contribute to obesity may be largely out of that person's hands, societal things, things like that. But just like with anything else, we have to say, what can we actually control? What can we do? Because here's the science side of it, both and, and let's move forward. And Tina has done a phenomenal job. And I'd love for you to kind of dive into that now, if you don't mind, of here's some 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 ideas of like here's some things that you can control you can try to do sure um first can i can i explain why i doubled down on the obesity yeah go please so i i knew we knew back in 2009 and even earlier but we knew in 2009 that the flu that came through that year specifically was impacting the obese population or those living with obesity the most severely Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. that science was out i mean significantly severely the the mortality rates in uh, in those living with obesity were really high compared to their mm-hmm. counterparts. I also knew that um, viruses behave differently in the obese state. So some things that we know about the flu virus, and we know this to be true by multiple studies, is the obese, and this some of this is in mice and some of this is in humans. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. 
And it's all in the flu, but the flu and the coronavirus, I'm not saying they're the same virus. I'm not saying they behave the same, but they are similar in their structure. They're similar in how they are built. They are both single-stranded RNA viruses. They both have the same kind of coating around them. They are very similar viruses. So they behave somewhat similarly. They also are excreted through aerosols in the breath, which I said from day one, and I got viciously mm-hmm. attacked for because the governments at large would not say that. And I'm like, um, all coronaviruses are aerosolized. How is this one different? Again, so everything I'm saying, it's like, we know this about coronaviruses. How is this one different, right? It's freaking aerosolized. It's going to linger in the elevator after the contagious person walked out of the elevator. An asymptomatic host is simply a healthy person carrying the virus around. We all mm-hmm. have to get the virus. We are all going to be exposed to the virus. There is no way to get around that. I don't think the vaccine is going to beat the virus on this one as far as speed goes of transmission. Mm-hmm. So, um, just knowing that, knowing that we are all going to be exposed, what can we do? So I started doubling down on like, okay, well, who is this going to hit the worst and why? So that we can tell them, <laughs> so we can tell people like, this is who's going to be most impacted. Let's yeah. help and protect that group. I found a study very early on out of Wuhan where they were saying we must actually quarantine the obese on this one. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, let's dig in. And so basically the obese host, the the, the mouse or the human being with living with obesity in the obese state, the obesogenic state is how I'll refer to it. They carry significantly higher viral loads because fat cells have a lot of ACE2 receptors on them. So the more fat Mm -hmm. cells, the more ACE2 receptors, the more binding of virus, viral load matters. Viral load matters so far as transmission and severity of disease in the person. The second thing is that they shed viral and this is again in the flu, they shed viral load for like 42% longer than their lean counterpart. So they are not only carrying a higher viral load, viral titer, they are shedding a lot more virus and they are mm-hmm. shedding it for longer. Um, so that's bad. Now here's the interesting <laughs> part. When the virus goes through our bodies, they're supposed to be processed by our immune system, come out hopefully a little kinder and gentler. So, you know, yeah. H1N1 hit, everybody was having the same panic because it was severe, but now that it's made its way through human populations, it's a little more tolerable, right? Um, mm-hmm. It becomes, they mutate and they recombine and become a little more gentle. Coronaviruses don't do that as readily as flu viruses, but they still do it to some degree. When the flu virus passes through the obesogenic host, it becomes more virulent to their lean counterpart. Mm-hmm. It actually becomes a more dangerous virus. And this was in my studies. So after reading that, I was like, oh shit. I think, yeah. I think the empowering thing to do here is to alert people, right? Like let's share this information out because like this is critical information. People have some ability to help themselves. And I'll tell you, I've had more luck helping people lose weight during this pandemic than I ever have in my clinical career because Mm -hmm. all I did was tell them to walk and quit eating sugar. I got smeared. I got shadow banned and blocked and like almost shut down over a sugar post, over a freaking sugar post. People lost their minds when I was posting that sugar inhibits your immune system. That's all I posted. And the world went insane. And I was like, what is wrong with people? So people started listening and a lot of people started walking and they cut sugar. That was it. Like step one, Mm -hmm. walk, cut sugar. I didn't, I didn't suggest anything else. And I've been getting messages now, now that we're several months in from people, like probably accumulatively thousands of pounds. I'm people are reporting to me. So many people sending me before and afters telling me they've lost 30, 50 pounds, um, sharing with me that their, their family has now contracted it and lived through it. And they didn't have any fear because they knew how to handle it because they got their health house in order, all this good stuff. So like the people who, and there was a lot of obese people who reached out to me and said, thank you. Like, thank you for telling me the truth because now I feel less, way less fear. And I feel like I have a plan. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, you know, for the people who got it, like it was great, but there was just a lot of attacks in there. And so that's what Makes I told sense. people, like cut the sugar. It screws up your immune system. It makes you inflamed. We need, we need the least amount of inflammation in the body at this point. So like do all the things you can to keep inflammation low, eat real food, whole foods, go for walks every day, lift weights, strength train. If you have the capacity to do that, um, you know, go to bed, like go to bed at a normal time. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Sleep, you know, like just basic stuff to lower inflammation. And the results have been astounding. And I have to say, I've had, I I know I mention a lot that I'm being attacked, but usually it's because I'm trying to, I'm trying to like call that herd. I'm trying to get those people out. So I'm all for public shaming when somebody says something awful to me. And Mm -hmm. I know they're just, Mm -hmm. I know they're triggered and coming from a place of fear, but 
for the people who were listening, who were receptive, it's been phenomenal. And, you know, lots and lots of, and I had a second video go viral. The mask isn't going to save us. I get that people want to wear the mask. I get that uh, we are being considerate to those with a less robust immune system when we wear the mask, but it's not the mask and the hand washing that's going to slow this down. It's actually getting our shit together and getting our health in order so that we, this is my concern. This is my prediction in the United States. We have such an incredibly high rate of obesity and inflammation and type two diabetes or metabolic syndrome that this virus is going to stay on slow burn here in the U S for a lot longer than it is in other countries. Other countries are going to have upticks and drops, upticks and drops, and it's going to mysteriously make its way out with the U S we are so sick as a whole that we are going to just continue because of what I said about the shedding rate, the higher viral titers and the uh, more virility. We're going to just, I predict we're going to just see like a slow burn and Interestingly, the flu, when your body gets the flu virus in it, it upregulates ACE2 receptors, which is what the coronavirus likes to bind to. So I think, you know, winter is coming. It's now yeah, winter's coming. It's now October. And when I say winter is coming, I don't mean we're going to see an uptick in deaths I from coronavirus, but who knows, because we could go into how flawed the testing is and all that if you want mm-hmm. to. But we are going to see the two combined during flu season. We have no idea what flu strain is coming through this year. And, and don't let me forget to mention what happens when you take a flu vaccine full of adjuvants and what that does to your body and how that might impact oh, your yeah. response to Corona, because we are going to see this uptick in flu, uptick in ACE2 receptors, uptick in coronavirus. People are, more people are going to get sick because it's flu season and winter. People are going to die. I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not discounting any of the deaths we've experienced, but what I think the government overreach is what I'm far more concerned about. I'm far more concerned that all the people who are living in fear at home with their masks on thinking hand sanitizer is the solution is going to be like, see, we told you so. And they're going to shut us down hard again. That's my prediction Mm -hmm. all over like basic science. Like this is how it's supposed to go. We're supposed to see increased rates of infection. We're seeing it for two reasons. One is we need to see it because we need it to get through the population to burn itself out. And two, because they're testing a lot more people. So Mm -hmm. of course we're seeing more cases, but we're not seeing more deaths. The death rate is not coinciding with the case rate. It's still staying pretty much the same. And so I just think we're in a terrible position where we're destroying the economy over virus. We now know if you're under the age of 65, you have pretty much a hundred percent chance of surviving. Yeah. Wow. Totally. It's another, I love all the info of the science that Tina drops. It's another case of both. And, and one of the things that, you know, a few things I think we can unpack is one, like we also as a society, as, as, an ind- as individuals need to be better at receiving messages. So one of the issues is that if someone speaks with like a very clear cut, very pointed, very just simply like listing things out because there's no story around it. I just actually did a podcast about this because there's no story around it to soften it. Yeah. Then we're like, this person is a bitch and they're lying and she doesn't care about anybody because she said that people are going to die and she wasn't sad when she said that and therefore she's the worst and I'm going to discount and discredit this information. One, it's information. I like that it's actually just she, that Tina presents these things in list form. Moving forward to the second point there is, again, it's both... And so I love what, what Tina's saying about masks. Tina didn't come on here and say, like, don't wear masks. Tina said, that's not the thing that's going to save you. This is both and. This is we need you to wear your mask, go ahead, wash your hands, and do what you can do and need to do to be healthy. It's not an either or thing. We need to be doing all these. And there's so many things that we can be doing to actually, uh, you know, help ourselves. Moving forward, that same concept of both and is, yes. We understand this is how viruses work. This is how sickness and illnesses work, where it's both and some people will die, but we cannot sit here and then sit in fear. We need to be asking, okay, if this is what's going to happen, what can we actually be doing? How can we be proactive with this? How can we take any kind of action, even if it's a little bit reactive for some people? Okay, what kind of response can we have? And Tina has given very, very digestible, actionable steps of, you know, improving the way that we eat or cut, and not even adding. I love that Tina said, let's start off by taking things away. I love that. It's not like let's add supplements. No, like just take out some of the shit that you're eating. Uh, let's walk 
a little bit more, let's sleep a little bit better, a little bit more, a little longer, a little bit more regular. Like these are very, very simple, simple things. Uh, and I love that the way that Tina presents it. Again, if you need a story around it, let's listen to any of my other episodes where we talk, take a minute and take a moment and say, you know, in, in the words of uh, James Olivia, Chew Hillman, what fuckery am I up to? Like, <laughs> why do I need a story around this in order to believe things that I already know to be true and have been proven time and time again to be true? Yeah. Tina, I got a, I got a question for you about two questions, actually. So let me be a good host and just do one at a time. <laughs> so this, this, I don't want to say concept because it makes it sound like it's not true, but there's skinny fat people out there. Yep. All right. Does this, or and I maybe don't know based on the studies, but would this, everything you're saying, affect them the same kind of way that it would someone that's actually like we can like see and like based on their like BMI or whatever the bullshit, but based on that, that they are clinically obese. These people that like skinny fat don't eat well, don't exercise and just like are thin, but like zero muscle on them. Are we see, would we expect to see the same kind of issues? Yeah. Uh, let me, let me double down on that. So the big thing we were seeing early on was diabetics being massively impacted. And let me say, like I mentioned, I've been on the front rows of this meeting as, as my audience exploded a couple from a couple viral videos, I've had a lot of ICU doctors and nurses and uh, respiratory therapists, mm -hmm. et cetera, people who are dealing straight up in, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the front lines have been talking to me as a front row observer and straight up from all over the world, all over the world, hundreds of messages coming in from these practitioners. It's obese and diabetic people who are ending up on vents, period, mm -hmm. period, mm -hmm. you guys. Like it's, there is no outliers here. There is the occasional person who had like chronic asthma and pneumonia and was young. Of course, that's all you hear about on the news. She was yes. 28. She was young. Yes. Somewhere in the middle of that article is like, oh, and by the way, she suffered from chronic pneumonia and had respiratory issues her whole life. Like why don't, you know, they're just sensationalizing yeah, zebras. Yeah. And in medicine, when we hear hooves, we think of horses, not zebras, right? But all That's the it. media is doing is, is like promoting the zebras. So it's fear, 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 fear narrative. Um, we yeah. saw early on that diabetics were doing very badly, very badly. And in mm -hmm. fact, when you get hit with a virus, depending on the virus, depending on your metabolic flexibility, you can actually go into a temporary diabetic state. This is common for a lot of viruses or any hmm. kind of illness. You go into a hyperglycemic state because the body's trying to mobilize to help you. It's the run away from the tiger thing, right? So yeah. there's this transient diabetic state that occurs anyway in most people. And then on top of that, you take these brittle diabetics or people, I would say, you know, I, I, gosh, I've ran thousands, thousands of labs on patients and I rarely saw somebody who was metabolically sound. In fact, scientific, mm -hmm. I think it was, uh, it was either scientific American or science came out and said that only 12% of Americans have good metabolic health, the 88% of mm -hmm. them do not. And so whether or not someone's been diagnosed with the magic number of diabetes, like, Oh, mm -hmm. your blood sugar hit 120. Yes. You are now diabetic. Most people in this country, I think are walking around with some brittle metabolic issues. I love that. And yeah. so okay. you take someone who's sitting on the edge, whether they're thin or lean looking or obese looking or whatever their body composition is, and you put them under duress with a virus that is rocking their socks off. And if they go into a diabetic state or you take a diabetic and put them into a further diabetic state, their outcomes are much poorer. Um, oh, we also know that the traditional TOFI, the thin on the outside, fat on the inside person with the metabolic syndrome, who's lean looking, those people actually die of all causes at a significantly higher rate mm. than their obese counterparts. So being mm. skin fat is probably more dangerous huh. than being skin obese, fat. you know, fat. Yeah. And when we, when we are looking at these cases of like, oh, they were healthy. I actually had a nurse say to me on Instagram, she said, yeah, we had a young, healthy person die. And I said, oh, well, did they have any comorbidities? And she said, no. And then she mentioned that the person was 300 pounds. And I'm sorry, like, what? maybe that's a comorbidity. Like maybe extreme obesity yeah. is a comorbidity, right? Maybe, so yeah. who, what are they considering healthy? And like on, on anyone of any size, I don't care what size you look like on the outside or what size jeans you fit into. Let me see your metabolic panel and I'll tell you if you're healthy or not. That's all that matters, that. right? I fucking love that. I love it. I love all of that, especially the sensational sensationalizing of zebras. That is the thing that keeps getting thrown out and thrown up and, and shown 
and you know i think contributing to the fear right i i think with anything it's like we need to have a healthy respect for things but fear is never the answer it's not the solution it may be a motivator but sometimes it motivates you to do the wrong fucking thing so i love that you bring that up because people will be like well this person died and this person so it's like we have compassion for that situation absolutely but we also i think need to understand that like what is the the majority we can't base i love that we can't base science off of that that outlier we can't base these you know recommendations off of that that single per that singular singular case can can you speak to tina and this is like maybe i don't even know if a selfish question but in general are you seeing because you know talking about your history and you you got sick at 19 and I feel like in general, do you see in the United States just like an increased trend in, in folks that have like autoimmune issues and just immuno, like things that like normally would only affect people who are immunocompromised, but like people are getting that. Are you, have you seen that? Yeah, it was interesting. My experience goes back quite a long time in naturopathic medicine as I was my mentor's receptionist for a decade before I ever went to school. And so he taught me how to read labs. And I, you know, being the science nerd I was, I was always yeah. opening people's charts and like read, cause he would always have me deliver the treatment plan. And so I kind of needed to know what was going on. Yeah. And I learned to read labs in a functional capacity a long time ago before the word functional medicine ever existed. Um, I was, I was, you know, looking through these people's labs and learning what those, you know, labs are like a choose your own detective novel. You've got to put them together mm -hmm, to tell a story. Mm -hmm. There's no isolate, there's no marker in isolation that tells you much. And so the person interpreting the labs are just as important as the markers ran. I was, you know, I kind of saw like, this is the early nineties, mid nineties to mid two thousands. So I kind of had an idea of what people were looking like. And I've got to say, by the time I got my naturopathic license and started running labs on my own patients, boy, people were a lot sicker. And mm. here I am seeing teenagers with, uh, you know, mm -hmm. autoimmune conditions, like severe autoimmune conditions that I would usually only see in postmenopausal women. Um, and so, yeah, we're just a much sicker society and we're much sicker here. So when people diss on Sweden and say, well, look what Sweden did and all those people died and that would be a horror. We're comparing literally apples to oranges. The humans living in yeah. Sweden are not the humans living in the U.S. And the level yeah. of toxicity and the level of glyphosate that we've been sprayed with and the level of like just everything that we've the the um, depletion of minerals in our soil, the quality of the animals oh that we consume, all of those things count and matter. And we are and the amount of vaccines that we receive as infants. We are mm -hmm. a very sick society. And so yeah. we're just sitting ducks. That's why I knew this was coming with when I told my mom, I told her when I was 19 that a virus was going to take us out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I completely, I completely pivoted my business to be 100% virtual and started training around 40 years old. I started training hard in weights because I knew I needed to be more resilient. I was tired of being chronically sick. I had received all of the therapies, like therapies you hear about now that are being sensationalized. I was getting, I mean, my mentor was doing IV therapy with nutrients, like way back in the eighties. So mm -hmm. I've had access to the best that medicine can offer. And at a certain point, I'm like, none of this shit is working unless I get more resilient. And so I started yeah. strength training, like my life depended on it. And when people would ask me, what are you training for? I would joke and say the zombie apocalypse. There and I, go. I wasn't really kidding that much. There you go. So I just wanted to be able, cause when I was 19, after that cytomegalovirus, I remember another doctor telling me, cause I got skinnier from enduring that whole process. He was like, a good flu is going to take you out someday if you don't mm -hmm. get your shit together. And so here I was at 40, just trying to get stronger and really not just implementing passive care, but very active care. And I just, I feel, I feel ready for this. You know, I like, we're going to, I'm going to get it. I honestly would prefer to get it this fall than the dead of winter to be mm -hmm. totally honest with you. Yeah. And I'd like to get through it and I'd like to see my family through it. The thing that I think is most shocking is, I don't know if you noticed, but when they mentioned the president's treatment plan, they mentioned a couple nutrients, They meant, which we have lots of studies on showing efficacy. I'm, a, I'm not allowed to mention treatment prevention or cure, by the way, for any of you who follow me on Instagram. I actually can't talk about it because we have gag orders on all of us as practitioners. We are not allowed to talk about treatment prevention or cure. The FDA, the FTC, and the Department of Justice are issuing letters and investigations upon my colleagues like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> so my chiropractor friends are getting turned in. My naturopathic friends are getting turned in. So like 
we got to keep our mouth shut and be careful. But I went digging right at the beginning of this. I was looking at um, drug cocktail combinations that were being used worldwide at the beginning of this pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I kept up with it throughout. And interestingly, when they dropped the president's treatment plan in that memo, he mentioned some nutrients. He he mentioned the antiviral drug remdesivir. He mentioned the uh, antibody infusion he was going to be receiving. And he mentioned the generic word for Pepsid. And I, my brain went ding. That was purposeful. Like I know he didn't just, everyone's like, Oh, the president has bad digestion. I'm like, no, no. I remember seeing that drug early on in this whole pandemic. And I went back and looked and like, it is in every single drug stack that's been used effectively throughout the world. Um, if you go to Google and you put in Pepsid and coronavirus or COVID-19, you'll see the first two pages will tell you, it'll kill you, it'll kill you. Pepsid makes it worse. Pepsid makes it worse. If you get to page three or four, though, and you actually learn to dig, like I encourage my audience to do, you'll see that there are actually really good studies showing efficacy with something as simple as a pill that costs three cents a pill. And the way that that was discovered was right at the beginning of this outbreak, a viral hunter, a virus hunter went to Wuhan and he noticed that the patients that were not dying were all on proton pump inhibitors. Mm. They were not ending up on the vent. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's like Mm -hmm. 78% decreased chance of ending up on the vent. And I'm not telling anyone to go take this because there's lots of other drugs that they're mentioning out there that are you know, off label that they're using. And I don't know why no one's talking about them because, uh, Another one is ivermectin, which is a common deworming agent. And that's been shown to like a 5,000% like decrease in viral load after two doses. I don't, and I'm not, again, I'm not mentioning treatment. Yeah, totally. Here I'm just telling what I'm seeing in studies and I'm like, why the F is nobody talking about this? And I can't talk about it because, and shoot, you may want to edit this part out. Like this stuff is this is where we're at. (laughs) We have inexpensive drug stacks that might significantly uh, decrease morbidity and mortality in patients. And yet we're all, and you know why it's because if anything works out there, they can't fast track the, you know what? And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm actually really glad you brought this up and I want to maybe soften the impact here (laughs) in that, because I was going to ask before about like look researching and things like this. So a few things. Number one, Tina keeps saying digging, right? This requires independent or individual accountability. Like you have to do work. You have to go and like really sift through things. If I play devil's advocate on this, uh, I know that there are people who, and I, don't, I hate to use the word conspiracy theories because that already gets a negative connotation. But if we say, there are people out there who believe that, you know, what we see and what's out there is censored. And so it's like, well, how do you even know if what you're reading is true? One, I mean, you don't, but you have to go and do as much digging as you're willing to do. You cannot stop on anything on page one, right? So that's the first thing. But the flip side is that Tina has said, and we have said over and over again, if that stuff is like, oh my God, but how do I know if I'm getting the truth? The thing that you can absolutely control, my friends, is what you're eating, how you're sleeping, your exercise. Are you going outside and seeing the sun? So I get that there's like, well, why aren't they pushing this drug? And why aren't they pushing this? And why aren't they talking about that? That's a very valid concern. And if you want to go and dig and like, I don't know, vote for different people and march and things like that. Okay, don't do that. If you're like, fuck, this is overwhelming. Let's get ahead of it then. And let's really control and focus on controlling what we can. Our diet. To the, to the extent that we can, if you want to go and grow your own stuff, and Tina, we can, we can kind of pivot if you want and talk about that and you uh, being out in the country now. <laughs> so if you want to go and grow your own stuff and things like that, all right. Uh, so that you can control that more, all right. But at least let's focus then. If you're feeling overwhelmed right now and you're feeling scared and you're like, well, the government isn't going to show us the things, and then how do we know? Let's do what we can. I've always felt like the biggest fuck you you can give to the man is being healthy. Yeah. Right? And being happy. Yeah. So focus on what you can do to control those agents. Yes, I get it. Some folks drew the genetic short straw. I get it. I can't, you know, we can't uh, be, you know, accommodating for everyone. I get it. But let's still, because even for those folks, let's still focus on what we can control. Right. right? I, I mean, last I heard, 
stopping drinking soda and going for walks was free, you know? And I just, and I don't mean to sound crass about it. I did not grow up in a wealthy family. I did not grow up in a family that really um, honored health. I, I didn't grow up in a family that really even honored education yeah. too much. I've, I've always, I mean, I'm the only person in my family with a degree. I've always just been a digger. Like I just mm-hmm. want to know more and I like, and I, and it's hard. It's hard to sit down and look at studies. It takes discipline yeah. to sit there and work through it. But I, I really want to know more. And so, I mean, I was just telling my fiance last night, I could, the day that the librarian taught me how to use the card catalog was like a life changing no. day for me. <laughs> you know, I am, I am a seeker for knowledge. Um, and so I, I just, I want to understand things on a basic level. And then I'm, I'm really good at tr- translating those things on a basic level. And I thought that for sure, somehow all of this information would come out and we would be, you know, we would, we would get back to normal faster. I'm just, I'm not afraid. And I am a sitting duck. I, I too suffer from chronic pneumonia bouts. Both of my parents are immunocompromised. My dad's severely ill. Both of them are in their seventies. They are both sitting ducks for this. So I, I wholeheartedly expect that I may lose a parent this year. And I've come to terms with that. I think one of the reasons people are freaking out is because it's the first time they've ever questioned their mortality. They've never, yes, you know, there. It, it, and I have, nailed like, it. I've almost died a few times. So I'm like, you oh, fucking okay. nailed it, Tina. <laughs> you absolutely fucking nailed it in on so many things. So, so, so many things, whether it is, uh, the, um, social justice issues coming up now or the virus for so many people this the first time that they're like could i die and then would i be okay dying right like did i do i feel like i've lived enough of my life have i done enough stuff do i wish i had done something else could i be doing more and for those people that are like fuck no i i I don't want to die because i haven't done enough or you know this that fear sets in we see all kinds of interesting responses and i don't think enough of them are self-accountability of like okay what can i change what can i do right now not who can i point a finger at to try and change something so that i can you know add more years you nailed it tina you absolutely nailed it so life out on the the farm I don't know. Is it a farm? That's probably the wrong word. Yeah. I, it's a 40 acre farm. <laughs> oh, it's a farm. It is a farm. So I, oh. I knew, I knew it's funny. I knew this whole thing was going to go belly up soon because my dog died abruptly last year and it was devastating. She was a little chihuahua that I love so much. And all of a sudden I got this new dog that I figured out later was part coyote and really interesting dog, really, really interesting little girl. And I rescued her and I was joking when I finally figured out what, you know, kind of, cause I can, I sounds woo woo, but I can, you know, I can talk to my animals. Yeah. Anyone who can talk to animals understands what I'm saying. Like I can communicate with my dogs pretty well. And I kept getting this weird line with her, like, why can't I get through? And then I realized, oh, I'm dealing with a coyote brain. And once I figured that out and I started studying coyote behaviorism, I was like, okay. So I jokingly said she was my zombie apocalypse dog. So I knew it was coming. And then I met, and then this, man, I met this man who lives out on 40 acres who has a house that he built himself that's made out of cement. So it can't even burn. And like, he knows how to uh, grow and process animals and he knows how to grow his food and all this stuff. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like you just gave me the zombie apocalypse compound (laughs) out in the middle of wine country. It's so beautiful. So yeah, I just, I joke, but that was kind of, to me, I was like, I think something's coming. (laughs) How are you feeling being out there? Like Portland is like a, was a whole vibe for you and now you're in a different spot like how are how how are you it i'm great it was as i drive towards the city because my family's still there the fear factor goes up significantly and as i get into the middle of the city i mean portland's really that's a whole other conversation but like (laughs) portland's really it's just it's just yeah i'm i Mm -hmm. i'm you know it's weird portland forged me i am such a portland girl i am truly Mm -hmm. old school portland i'm not like new school hipster portland i'm like an old school portland punk girl and portland was always kind of a grimy seedy place and when the protest started i was excited because i was like go portland like you're my town like this is my city this is what we do right we do not stand for injustice and then all of a sudden it just went sideways and Mm -hmm. it's really for anyone who Mm -hmm. out there listening who i've even had people get very angry with me for saying but we, I mean, it really went sideways. I know people yeah. who are living in the city and it looks like Beirut. I mean, my city's destroyed. Our monuments are destroyed. 
the businesses are destroyed. It's because of the riots. Like it's really gotten quite yeah. bad. And we've just got two very opposing groups down there doing a lot of trouble. And mm-hmm. um, so as I get to the city, the fear that people, you know, people are much, much hardier out here in the city and they're way, mm-hmm. it's like pretty normal too. And we're in a different phase of shutdown. So it's pretty, it's fairly normal out here, but you get into the city and like, they're still in phase one and you can't go inside anywhere to do much. And it's, people are freaked out. And my daughter just is white as a sheet. She hardly goes outside and I'm trying desperately to get her out of there. And it's just, I don't know. I'm, it's sad. It makes me sad. (laughs) It's it's a lot. Uh, It's just so much. I, again, you and I are so similar in this. It's like, we feel the feels, we think the things, and then it's like, okay, well, what can we do? And it all comes back to like, all right, well, what can, you know, you folks listening, taking accountability and responsibility for your own self. And, you know, I love that Tina was just like, I need to get strong. I, I, that's the best thing that I could do. I think for so many people and, you know, time and time again, I go back and I'm like, I love that I picked the word movement. I strategically did that, but the movement maestro, because what can you do? Right? What, how can you take action with these things? And, and Tina has, has shared her own journey, but it's also, also dropped so many gems in terms of like there, this, the reality is like there is a picture being painted of overwhelm and uh, some maybe bleak in some, some, some instances, but what can you do and what are you going to do? Are you going to mobilize? Are you going to figure stuff out? Are you going to take responsibility and accountability for what you, know, you can? Or will you live in fear? You have a choice. Most of us listening have a choice. Uh, and I think that some people like to be like, well, what are the people that don't have a choice? That's very unfortunate. But first, you need to put on your, your uh, you know, proverbial air mask and then get your shit in order, get your health house in order, as Tina would say, and then we can move from there. Tina, before I wrap us up, can you talk a little bit about your business side of things? You know, we can talk about if you want how your business is doing, but, you know, what are you seeing in the, in the naturopathic space? What are we looking at? How are things? What's the state of the union? <laughs> um... Well, I think primary care in general is doing very badly and across the board in all types of different professions. And so I'm a little bit worried about my profession. I got to be honest. I am currently, you know, coaching doctors in the beginning stages of business and marketing in the online space. So just getting people like the lay of the land so that they can pivot. I I feel strongly that that this is non-negotiable at this point. It's kind of like, you know, not having a website in 2010 would be. So being able to you know, you and I really have done such a good job for ourselves to create this awesome virtual space that, you know, we can go anywhere. And I'm not suggesting that people bail on their brick and mortars, but being able to have some semblance of utilizing an email list and, you know, just the basics, the very basics of online and digital marketing. That's what I'm focusing on mainly. I'm launching a private label supplement line. I'm going to double down on, you know, product. I'm my my focus at this point is helping people with resiliency. So people at large, not just doctors, but just mm-hmm. the whole world. Like how can I help humans be more resilient? Because that's the name of the game. That's what we need to do if we want to survive mm-hmm. this or any future pandemic. Because more is that anything, you know, like we need to be, this has shown us we need to be a more resilient society and we need to be better citizens and help each other. Your health, my health impacts everyone else's health. And so it's mm-hmm. super, I really do believe at this point that obesity is the driver of the pandemic in this country. And we need to help each other in whatever mm-hmm. ways we can to get over that hump because that's not going away anytime soon. And so just lifestyle stuff, you know, um, just mi- teaching the public more about that membership, that kind of thing. I'm just building that out right now because I feel more called to do that. I feel like human beings are in trouble and I can help. (laughs) So I have a free book for anyone who wants to check it out. It's called pain free and strong. It's free at drtina.com. And it's a great resource for getting your health house in order. And I know it's called pain free and strong, but it's really the six pillars that every human being needs to master to it's basics. It's not supplements it's not treatment plans it's like get your shit together 101 so yeah. i hope people will check that out love it. and follow along with me on instagram at dr tina it's d-r-t-y-n-a for both uh because i'm just trying to double down there on giving people what they need to help them get through the next i think this is going to go on for a few more years guys i don't oh, yes. think this is going away yeah. anytime soon so it, we're not going to wake up come january 1st and everything's going to go back to normal we need to 
make sure that we are as resilient as possible. And again, that's, you know, naturopathic medicine is not about treatment prevention or cure. There is no supplement I would apply to this. It's about getting your terrain in order so that you are less susceptible to illness and less susceptible to infection and less likely to go down from an infection because the infection will make its way through you eventually. And how you handle that is up to, you know, what you do today. So I love it. I love it. All the actionable steps. And I can just interject there as add on. Like, I love that. Imagine, folks, the reframe there. Because Tina said, like, this thing, and I, to- I totally agree and believe her, like, this is the thing that's going to be going on for a few more years. What happens if we reframe that and instead of being scared, like, oh, my God, and what does this mean? We accept it. Right? And we're like, yeah, this is what it's going to be. I, I was talking to one of my coaching clients the other day and she has kids. And I was like, so like, what the heck's happening with like school? Like, what are you, what are you doing? And she was just like, I've just, you know, resigned myself to the fact that this is how it's going to be for the rest of the year. And I'm planned accordingly. And I was like, that's amazing. Just the, the, the decrease in stress that you're feeling for things that you can't control anyway. And just accepting like, yeah, this is, this is what it's going to be like. And what can I do right now? What can I focus on? Tina's given you tons of resources. She's got a free book to start off with, drtina.com. We'll link that in the show notes. Thank She's you. She's doing a ton on Instagram. So let's let's have that reframe, folks. Tina, before I let you go, my standard last question, is there anything else you'd like to share? I mean, you shared so much. So if you <laughs> want to say, no, I'm done, that's fine. But is there anything that you want to say, any parting words, anything like that? Yeah, I think, you know, what I'm thinking about right now is the fact that it's super gray outside and I thrive in the sun and I live in Oregon. So I'm looking at the Mm -hmm. next, there's a special, uh, there's a special resiliency that it takes to get through an Oregon winter. And so in my head, what I have been doing is really like putting my zombie apocalypse team together. You are on that team, Miss Shante. (laughs) So (laughs) I really- Come visit, Sunny. (laughs) I I just, I, I encourage people to mentally prepare for this being a tough run. And I'm not trying to scare anyone, but like get your team together, uh, commit to each other that you're going to hold each other accountable to stay well and healthy. It's not just talk, it's action. And so coming up with a plan, coming up with a team of people you trust that are going to support you and not give you shit uh, for trying to better your health. That's what I would say is probably my, uh, my parting thoughts. Oh man, that's so good. I just got like hype thinking about that. I don't know. Everything's like, I know I, I, my background is sports and I'm like, let's prepare. Let's practice. Let's go. Let's get ready. Yes. Like, I just got like mad hype. I'm like, yes, I want the best team. I always want to win, Tina. Always. I don't care what the fuck it is. I want to win. I want the best people on my team. Like, I'm like, let's go. We're training started. Let's go. That's why we're friends. I fucking love it. I love it. All right, Tina, I will wrap us up with that. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Just you gave us so much. I'm leaving on a high note here, feeling hype. And I'm just so grateful for all that you do. And, and you know, you take the arrows. It's, it's very scary to be out front. And you're taking the arrows for so many people. So thank you for all that you do. Thanks for coming on the show. And just thank you for being the, the zombie apocalypse warrior that you are. Thank truly. you. I adore you. And I so appreciate this chance to chat with you and share my uh, info with your audience. So thank you for everyone who listened. Absolutely. You folks listening, like Tina just said, like Tina just said, thank you. I know you could have been doing a lot of other things and you chose to listen to us. And for that, we are both endlessly, endlessly appreciative. Not going to ask for any likes or subscriptions or anything like that. If you like this episode, if you love this episode, if it resonated with you, share it with someone who you think it could help. Go out there and build your freaking team. All right. That's all I got. Until next time, friends. Dr. Tina and Maestro 